0: We're now looking at the last beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Doesn't God just always go a little bit too far? (laughs) Rejoice and be glad. I mean, give me a break. It's bad enough that we could keep standing and keep moving forward under insults and people talking badly about us and even lying about us, but you want me to rejoice and be glad? You see, that ability to rejoice and be glad will show where your perspective is. Are we looking at life from the world's perspective? Are we looking at life from God's perspective? And when he says rejoice and be glad, I remember I used to fly out to the Solomon Islands from Australia. I lived in Australia for 29 years. uh, And I was one of the pastors that would be asked to fly into the Solomons. Uh, It sounds like it's really idyllic, but we literally... We had communal showers, and there wasn't anything fun about it, believe me. Uh, But it was a training ground for islanders from the South Pacific. And uh, I would lecture six hours a day. And these young men and women would then go out and start churches. And so I was fortunate. I was honored. The movement I was with considered, they honored me with the opportunity to go to the jungle and teach these up-and-coming preachers. And uh, I remember as revival had swept through the Solomon Islands and Papua New Guinea, and by the way, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islanders, it was only one generation earlier, they were headhunters and cannibals, okay? So, but I, I remember as revival swept through, and some of the men were being stoned, beat up because they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the women would come to church crying, weeping, and dancing, and saying crazy things like, we are so happy that our husbands were considered honored to be persecuted for Jesus Christ. That doesn't equate with our Western culture. And our understanding. I want to show you a, a short video about persecution. Because what we call persecution here in America, I think we could all agree there are different levels of persecution. And when we understand the persecution that many Christians around the world are facing, ours isn't persecution. It might be the occasional trial, and it might be the occasional reason to be frustrated. But when we look at some of the persecution that Christians are enduring today around the world, we have reason to rejoice and be glad because we have it pretty easy. We're going to dim the lights, short video.
1: Face around the world. For each country, the list looks at a variety of factors persecuted Christians endure in their public and private lives, such as persecution from the government, the community, and even their own families. Open Doors estimates that in the top 50 countries alone, over 250 12 Christians worldwide, but the list is not just numbers and figures. It represents those who have decided to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. We believe there is only one body of Christ, and when one part suffers, every part suffers. We hope you feel called to learn more and pray for the millions of believers around the world where persecution is a
0: Just a couple of quick statistics. Every month, every month, over 255 Christians are killed. 104 are are abducted every month. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians detained without trial and imprisoned. And during the World Watch. List of 2018, 3,066 Christians were killed, 1,252 were abducted, 1,020 were raped, 793 churches attacked. Persecution. It's a very real thing. Sometimes we think that we're persecuted for our faith. And while By all means, we do face some trials and some tribulations. Generally speaking, we have it so easy that it would be safe to say we are relatively comfortable in this nation. But the truth of the matter is, is there's a question that begs to be asked and answered. And the question that begs to be asked and answered, and only you can answer it, is how deep do your roots go? Because when persecution does increase, will your faithfulness and your conviction that Jesus Christ is the only way, will that equally and exponentially increase also? (laughs) If that doesn't sound like a relevant question, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, it says, In fact, everyone who wants to have or live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's Bible. Oh, that's negative, Pastor. Uh, that's Bible. There will be opposition because we live in a world that at the moment, Jesus Christ is not the governing influence over the earth. Right now... The prince of the air, the master of social perspective and cultural attitudes, is the master of darkness. And I think it's important that we as Christians in the West pray regularly for those that are suffering persecution for preaching and standing for Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need to pray for them. We need to think of them. We need to support them and uh, back them as much as we can. Um, when, When Paul says to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, we have to understand that the reason why that's a reality is because the spirit of this age is a spirit that comes out of darkness. And it's a spirit that will always propagate that what's wrong is right, and what's right is wrong. And we're living in a nation, folks hear me today, we're living in a nation where our foundation is going through a sifting. We're living in a time period where What has been normally accepted and was status quo isn't status quo anymore. And there are a lot of values that once we held near and dear that are coming under attack and under fire. And in this crossfire, we have to decide where should we stand and what should be our response. We live in a world that is, at best greatly confused and divided. And the spirit of conflict, and I touched on the spirit of conflict last night, the spirit of conflict and the spirit of accusation and the spirit of offense. We live in a season where the spirit of fence, offense is so rampant in our culture and so rampant in the world. Look, conflict is to put two parties at opposing extremes. It comes to divide, and the purpose of dividing is to conquer. You can't tackle the whole as a mass, and so you splinter it off into factions, into divisive and conquerable little parties, and the enemy is very clever in the nature of spiritual warfare, and we, the church of Jesus Christ, need to We we need to go back to school and learn some of the strategies of spiritual warfare. We need to be wise. We need to be understanding. And swinging a club indiscriminately is not spiritual warfare. Waving your Bible around and just hitting anybody in the head that doesn't agree with you is not spiritual warfare. Can I get an agreement? There is a very particular way in which Jesus waged war. But it was effective and it was powerful. And the interesting thing is that the way Jesus waged war, he did it without taking people's dignity and self-respect away. He loved them. He embraced them. But he never wavered from the truth either. Are you guys still there today? You see, we, we live in. A, if you want to live a godly life, if you want to live a life that corresponds to God's value system, there's going to be persecution. Why? Because the spirit of this age and the spirit of this world is a spirit of lawlessness. The Bible speaks about that. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. But there's also a right way and a wrong way to tell somebody when they're in the wrong way. Hello? Sometimes we do warfare like cavemen. And we just grab people by the hair and swing our clubs around. Jesus never changed his value system, but he sure knew how to talk to the brokenhearted hearted And get to the issues behind the billboard. We see billboards. God sees broken people. You keep that coming because I'm going to need plenty of it today. You see, the spirit of lawlessness, the Bible says, is already at work in the world. And it is shifting the value systems of our culture. And in the name of tolerance, it preaches an acceptance. And it slowly erodes at some of our value systems and things that the Bible talks about as being right or wrong. But I want to tell you that as much as what the world says seems to be loving and kind... The law of God is always kinder and more loving. The world talks about tolerance, but God talks about love. You see, if you're tolerant of me, that's actually an insult. And so in the world, we teach tolerance. Accept everyone's values, accept everyone's belief, and everything's okay. And that's being a peacekeeper rather than a peacemaker. We're not here to wage a war the way the world wages war. But we have to understand that, pardon the pun, anything the world can do, we can do better. You see, what the world offers as a picture of love and understanding, when we, the church, really understand the heart of God, then the heart of God comes out with a picture that's even more loving, even more understanding, without changing its value system. Sometimes we feel like we're persecuted because we're standing in a world that's going in the opposite direction. And I could ask the question, are you going with the flow or swimming upstream? And until Jesus Christ establishes his throne here on earth, until there's a new earth and a new heaven and the spiritual rain in the atmosphere has changed, We better be swimming against the stream. We have to be. But not by throwing sticks and stones. And not by calling names or abusing. But by swimming with integrity to the beat of a different drummer. When we stand for what's right in the right way, It brings integrity to the person who's standing and to the person that you differ with. And I believe that the heart of God always brings honor and respect. If we look at the way Jesus dealt with sin, we we see a story in John chapter 8 starting with verse 2. And at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people had gathered around him, and he sat down to teach. Uh, Jesus was attracting quite a crowd. In fact, he was attracting such a crowd that the Pharisees were getting very concerned because he had influence on the people. And so the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery. i got to tell you, that phrase always amuses me. Where were these godly, righteous, holy, pure men that they could even be in the vicinity of catching this woman in the act of adultery? (laughs) oxymoron some as thick as an ox and as dumb as a moron i'm not talking about you but sometimes we can act thick like an ox let's look into you see we get lost reading the ink on the paper ink on the paper has difficulty explaining The heart of the creator. We have to look intently and see what God's heart is. Not what the black and white of ink and paper seems to say. Can I get an amen? Amen. So, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group. Self-righteousness will always isolate people. These self-righteous men made her stand before the group. Self-righteousness will always cause people to be isolated and become obvious. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Hot off the press. We saw her doing it. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. (laughs) How many of you learned that song in Sunday school? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For your father up above, he's looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. See, there's another verse that says, Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Where the heck did these guys go (laughs) to catch this woman in the act? Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go, for your father up above. Hey, guys on the sound team, you know you edit this part, right, where I'm singing. (laughs) Is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. So here they are, pharisaical, full of judgment. We're right. We don't sin. We're holy. And we're going to ostracize anybody who doesn't look like us. We're going to make them the center of attention and we're going to focus on them because we are the standard of righteousness. i got to tell you, there's only one standard of righteousness. It's God. It doesn't change with changing value systems in our society. God remains constant, but I'm not the value system. He's the value system, and I'm just a recipient of the grace and the goodness of God. Now having been redeemed and set free, do I want to live up to what I've attained by faith through Jesus' effort? Yeah. This is not an excuse to continue living the wrong way. We're called to live by God's standard. But we're also called to have God's kind of heart. Can I get an agreement? So... They made her stand before the group and they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Conflict will always pit people against each other. Then comes the spirit of accusation. And then comes the spirit of offense. Remember last week? All right, here's conflict. They're stirring up a conflict. They want to pit this situation against Jesus, and they come with an accusation, and the spirit of offense is ready to go to work. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, come on, answer, come on, answer, what do you think? What are you dribbling on the ground in the dirt for? He straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Probably the first sin that he wrote down in the sand was peeping Tom. (laughs) Every one of them the stones, And one by one, if you give me preacher's license and allow me to use some sanctified imagination, everyone saw themselves in the dirt. They saw their sins in the dirt. And they all went their own way. Now the story doesn't end there either. You see, and this is where we have to find the balance. What is a Christian supposed to look like in a world of changing values? What is a Christian supposed to look like in a world that doesn't come from the basic standard of Christianity? We are in a very different America. And we need to bone up on what the Word of God says. And I'm sorry, giving you a smiley emoji sermon every Sunday isn't going to equip you for tomorrow or next month or what's coming to America. When they let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, only until Jesus was left and the woman was still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Now I want you to listen very carefully. Because this is the part of the text we don't always get. So hear me. Then neither do I condemn you. What does that word mean? If we were to look this word up in the Greek... The reference number is 2632, 2,632. And it comes from two Greek words, kata. Okay, it's in small writing there, so you may not see it. And it comes from kreno. And it means to hand down, to intensify, to judge. Properly to judge down, issue a penalty, exactly con- condemn, to judge someone decisively, decidedly as guilty. There's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation says you're a failure, you're a loser. You're a sinner, you're wrong, and it's in your face and it tells you you're going to stay there. And it passes a sentence. You're useless. You're no good. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn us in that sense. But if we continue this story then Jesus says then neither do I condemn you I am not going to put a sentence on you but keep reading do we have it up there put it up on the screen he turns to the woman and he says now go change your lifestyle go and sin no more There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is not avoiding the truth. Conviction is speaking the truth with a whole heap of the love of God. You see, we become experts at what's right, not at what's doing right. we, We develop judgmental eyes. We forget where we've come from. We forget that the grace of God has got us here. We know who we are in Christ, and sometimes we forget who we were before that. And while I don't dwell on my mistakes from the past, if I did, I wouldn't be able to stand here today. I dwell on who I am in Christ Jesus, but if I'm not careful, I can forget where I came from and then portray the Word of God in a harsh, judgmental attitude because now I'm seated in heavenly places. Listen, if it wasn't for God's grace and God's mercy, I'd be seated somewhere else, and it ain't heavenly places. Does that condone sin? No. And this is what I love about Jesus. while self-righteous people want to just tear down They they see the billboard. They see what's obvious. And we want to strike out. We want to lash out. We want to tell everybody where their mistake is, sitting very prim and comfortably in the fact that God has already forgiven us and dealt with our stuff. And by the way, unless you're really radically, totally different than me, morning by morning, new mercies I see Because every day I come to realize there's more of me that has to go. Come on. How do we see morning by morning new mercies unless every day we realize there's stuff in us that still needs to change? Jesus gives this woman a sense of dignity. He doesn't take her hope away. He doesn't take her self-respect away. But he doesn't compromise truth. And he does it in such a loving way. There is a way that seems right unto men. But there's only one way that's right. And it's God's way. But even how we deal with differing positions and attitudes and stances that people have taken in life. There's a right way and a wrong way. So my question is today, when we're looking at this beatitude, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, my question is this. Are you being persecuted for righteousness' sake? Or are you reaping retaliation because of what you sowed? You see, there's a proverb that says, uh, Proverb 27, and to the guys that are doing the overhead, I'm all over my notes, all over the place, and I gave them forewarning. I spent all day praying about this and uh, yesterday, and I was here till late, late, got up at 630, and I'm still working on this, and I'm saying, God, help me convey your heart and your mind. Because sometimes my heart, my mind comes from such a different place than your heart and your mind. I I have a very... I don't envy me right now because I don't want to misrepresent my father. Amen? In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14, it says, If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. In other words... Not that they'll perceive it as a curse. It is a curse. You get up at 6 a.m. in the morning and start walking up and down the streets. Father, I pray for all the people in these houses right now that they will be blessed in Jesus' name. The Bible says, he who wakes up early in the morning and blesses his neighbor loudly. While you, in your religious self-righteous attitude, think that you're doing a spiritual thing. You're offensive. That's the word of God. Wow, that really went quiet, Paul. (laughs) Somebody throw me a bone, quick. (laughs) Come on. There is a right, there is a wrong. But I'm not the master of right and wrong. And the one who is master of what's right and wrong as master of understanding and he's master of grace and he's master of mercy and he's master of love and sometimes as l- little christ we get the part of telling people what to do right and we act that out, but we don't get the part of the heart of Jesus that got messy with people that were broken and hurt. Am I making sense? We live in a world that is so offense-prone that we've coined a new phrase in the last 20 years, politi- politically incorrect. We don't know where to put our feet anymore. We don't know what's going to land us in trouble. The foundations are shifting fast and furious. And everyone's getting offended at anything and everything. And the more this progresses, I think to myself, woe is me. Because I'm the preacher and i got to open my big mouth every Sunday. And we have this politically what's politically correct listen all i know is there's a right and a wrong and it's written in the word of god but i also know that in the heart of god there's grace there's mercy grace doesn't mean keep doing what's wrong grace means i'm going to love you through it until you come to a place of healing and transformation Praise God. Are you persecuted or are you just reaping what you sowed? <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for taking the right stand. But the right stand is is not only a legalistic position of what's right and wrong, the right stand is the spirit of the heart of God that comes with it. And to be any different than Jesus was in this story, you know, if you end the story and just say, well, then I don't condemn you either, and the story ends there, that's not the word of God. Yeah, I didn't get a lot of amens. That's not the word of God either. Every one of us here, there's stuff we still deal with. Let's not get on a high horse. I hate getting up on a pedestal because it's a bigger fall. (laughs) And sooner or later, you're going to fall off the pedestal. I like to sow mercy everywhere I go because when it's my time to maybe fall off the pedestal, I want to land on a cushion of mercy. I'm going to close with this. I want to point something out that God showed me just five minutes before this first song. And I thought, wow, that puts everything in perspective. I I love the fact that God comes out of left field. He thinks so differently than us. Right? So, can we throw all the Beatitudes up from the first one? Can we try that, Matt? I told you I might do that and I know uh we got tony it's only tony's i think third week on the screen doing a great job and today (laughs) guys honestly today i'm giving them a difficult time all right i haven't followed my notes if the holy spirit were to tell me to hand out my notes he'd really get an argument from me today because my notes all over the place i'd do it but i wouldn't want to (laughs) Look at this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, I want to point something out. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Deliberately comes after all the other beatitudes, and it's the last beatitude, and there's a reason for it. It comes after all the others. Because the first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who aren't arrogant, obnoxious, and got their head up their butt and they're willing to judge everybody else. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those that are humble and haven't forgotten that if they've arrived, they only arrive by the grace of God and they don't forget where they came from. Yeah. The second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. And we found in this series, blessed are those who can have empathy, who can feel what other people feel and stand with them and care for them and love them. Blessed are those who mourn, who can feel what the other person's feeling, sympathize, have empathy. You can't have compassion until you've had empathy. Compassion without empathy is a learned skill. It's mechanical. But compassionate comes out of empathy. Is a felt lesson. And it's real. And it'll last. The next beatitude, he says, blessed are the meek. Meek is to have power with a greater power. You have power to crush. You have power to exalt. Blessed are the meek is blessed are those who have power with a greater power, and the greater power is self-control. See, Moses was the meekest man in all the world. God said that. He had power, and yet he had restraint. The sand in Moses' face from the wind in the desert wasn't half as biting as his upper teeth in his lower lip. And sometimes we need to learn how to be meek. We have the power to blow people up, but we need to have power with restraint. God said, there was no one as meek as Moses. You deal with three million grumbling people in the desert. If I was Moses, I'd say, right, off with their heads. (laughs) And it would have been over. Very short movie. (laughs) But Moses had great restraint, even though he had great power. And blessed are the meek. Let's look at the next beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are people who, they want to, what is righteousness? Righteousness who live in right relationship with God and right relationship with their neighbor and right relationship with themselves. You love your neighbor as yourself. I don't want people talking down to me. I don't want people sticking their bony finger in my face. I don't want people telling me what a moron I am. Sometimes I don't need them to tell me I already know. (laughs) Here. The greatest transformation that took place in my life after conversion. I came from a legalistic Christian background. And I was a song leader. I was a youth leader. And I was a Sunday school teacher. And a vis- visiting evangelist came to another church. And I had, th- things had happened. And I took offense. And an offense in this case was given. And I took offense. And I got angry and I rebelled against God. Isn't it funny that when people offend us or we take offense, we often then get angry at God. I took offense at God, and I was in a bad place. My father uh, was uh, not preaching at that time. We had been in Australia. He had started a church. We came home on furlough. First time in six years, he took a break. He now had diabetes and was quite ill. And I got to the point where I was pushing my dad and fighting with my dad. And uh, I had always been the kid, who would run to the altar and was soft towards the things of God. But I got hurt in the church. And we can blame the church for so many things. Stop passing the buck. And look to your father and come to him and get healed. And let's, let's move on. And um, I got angry at God and I had a lot of bad things in my head and in my heart. And um, I went to this meeting expecting God was going to expose me and tell everyone what a sinner I was through the word of knowledge. I was expecting the evangelist to call me out and say, you're a sinner, you need to repent. And you know, the first night, I had such a nervous earthquake going on on the inside. It was like I had a a, a worm farm in my belly. I'm waiting for God to beat me up. And I actually said to God, God, if that's what it takes, then do it. I just want to get right with you. And the first night, he didn't see me. I was able to hide in the crowd. God never saw me. <laughs> the second night, in the middle of worship, the evangelist was a female, by the way. No comment. <laughs> and... Uh, The next night, we're in worship, and I got my hands raised. People from the church where I was youth pastor, song leader, Sunday school teacher were all there. I knew the condition of my heart. And I got my hands up. I want to be right with God, but I'm not right with God. And I heard the audible voice. I heard the audible voice of God. I tell you the truth. I heard the audible voice of God. John, when he was on the island of Patmos and he got caught up into heaven and he wrote the book of Revelation, he said, and the voice of God was like the sound of many waters. When I heard the audible voice of God, it vibrated through me like someone had turned the reverb up. It was like waves. I don't know how to explain it more than that. I heard an audible, literal voice. And this is what my dad said. He said, I don't have to tell you that you're in sin. You already know that. What you do need to understand is that I still love you. See, religion never told me that. I figured I had to repent and get saved all over again. Up until that point, I had been saved 79 times. (laughs) Now he loves me, now he doesn't. (laughs) Now he loves me, now he doesn't. (laughs) And if you understand the Italian culture, you know guilt. I mean, we're masters (laughs) of guilt. And we just, we, we just, (laughs) we put a whole new level on guilt. So you get an Italian preacher from a legalistic church, and man, it's a whole other thing. (laughs) But here's my father I'm waiting for judgment, and I'm I'm ready to wear it. I'm willing to be accountable. And he comes up to me with his arm around me, and he says, I love you. I had never seen that heart of God. Not only never seen that part of God, I never seen that heart of God. And other than my salvation, nothing has changed me more than to know that he, he doesn't reject me. He loves me. I'm messed up, I'm broken, uh, I'm screwing up. And he hasn't abandoned me, and he hasn't thrown me against the wall. He's more concerned about why I do that stuff, the hurts and the brokenness. And sometimes as Christians, we engage in spiritual warfare with words, with rules, with standards. God engages in spiritual warfare against demons because they've already been judged, sentenced, and condemned. He's trying to keep us from a place of being judged and condemned. Amen? And so with humans, with one another, we need to show grace and mercy and understanding, and then the Spirit of God will bring conviction. Isn't it funny that the Pharisees were talking about the law of Moses? Jesus had the same standard, but a completely different method. Amen. He told the woman, go and sin no more. There's a right that seems right to us. It's wrong, and in the end, there's destruction. And we can get society to change their opinions on anything we hope will change. But there's one we give account to. Now, in our journey, isn't it interesting? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who understand that righteousness is about being in right relationship with God, being in right relationship with my neighbor, even if I disagree with my neighbor, being in right relationship, treating them with respect and honor, And also loving myself and treating myself with respect and honor. And isn't it interesting if we go to the next beatitude. Blessed are the merciful. They shall be shown mercy. Go to the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart. People who are honest and sincere and transparent. And you go to the next one. And then it says blessed are the peacemakers. Not just peacekeepers, peacemakers. We really go to the root of an issue. We want to bring peace. We really want to fix things. And then the last one. Now, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. You see, before you could be blessed for standing for righteousness, you have to go through the filter of all those other beatitudes and make sure that you are the heart of grace, you are the heart of mercy, You were the heart of non-judgment, et cetera, et cetera. How many of you like that? Yeah. 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 It's the last beatitude (laughs) for a reason. We feel like we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, and we haven't shown mercy, and we haven't been transparent, and we haven't respected our neighbor, and we haven't been humble or meek. We forgot where we came from, and we're just... We're seated in heavenly places to judge everybody else now. And that's not how it works. And when we filter our lifestyle and our perspective through all of those beatitudes, then, having done that, if we're persecuted for taking a righteous stand, we're to be envied. Because the kingdom of God keeps good records. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Are you persecuted? Or are you reaping what you sowed? When we look at what's right and what's wrong, the first right has to be what's the right way to deal with this situation. What's the God way to deal with this situation? The Beatitudes. If we model our lifestyle and our perspectives around this, we start to walk like sons of God. We start to talk and act like sons of God. And the blessing and the favor of God will come on our lives. I'm not here to condone sin in any of us or in me. But conviction lovingly points out my mistakes and encourages me so I can change. And that's how God dealt with us and that's how we should deal with each other. And if we live by this, we will be blessed. Can I get an agreement? Every eye closed. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, I'm not asking you, are you in sin? If you've never asked Christ to come into your heart, you need to do that today. He is so longing to come and live inside you and to love you. Brokenness and all. He loves you. But he needs you to say, it's okay for him to come into your heart. So while every eye is closed, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, would you do that right now? I want to pray with you.